subject of understanding the spiritual principles of sowing and reaping. Talking especially about the sowing and reaping, the sowing of the word, which is the seed, and seeing souls come forth. The Bible says very clearly that if we go forth weeping, bearing precious seed, we'll doubtless come again bringing our sheaves with us. Now, we've talked about many aspects of it. We said the seed, of the, the seed is the word of God, that every seed does not result in salvation of a lost person, but the seed has been planted, and then it becomes the soil's responsibility to bring forth fruit. I said we need to know where the credit belongs. If we don't take the credit when somebody does get saved, neither can we take the credit when someone doesn't get saved and feel like we have failed, because we sow and we water and God gives the increase. And then I said, the Lord of the harvest rewards every Christian who is a faithful sower. He doesn't say that we are responsible for the harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest. He sends forth the laborers, but he wants us to be witnesses for him. And then I shared with you that the harvest is perennial. It's year-round, every year, in season, out of season. Exhort, rebuke, the word of God says, with all long suffering and doctrine. We're continuously supposed to be sharing the word and believe that God is going to give us a latter rain. There's going to be extra water in the last days to bring forth a greater crop. Paul said, boy, if I had my brothers, I'd be with Jesus. He said, absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. He said, man, I, it's expedient for you that I be here right now. And you know, if the Lord wants us to be here and it's expedient for us to be here, we'll be here. But we should actually look forward to that time with great expectation we stand before him, but realize that we are to be re-sowing so that the harvest will be great. And then I said, joy and weeping are inseparable partners in sowing and reaping. Unless your heart is broken for the lost, you're not going to be concerned about witnessing to them and sharing the gospel with them. And we have to ask God to break our hearts to see the lost souls as he sees them. If we don't, we're going to stand before him in that day with blood on our hands. You and I have no other purpose for living than to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, to be witnesses, to be light, to be salt in the earth. Now, if we have any other motivation, now I'm not saying that we can't do anything else. I'm saying our that's our vocation. Everything else is an avocation. Everything else is only for time. Only that is for eternity. Living for Christ is the only thing that we can do in this life that will carry over into eternity. What we do for Christ is all that's going to last in that day. I can't get that across to you strongly enough this morning. Ask God to break our hearts to be available to him to be used. And then we talked about last Sunday about the cost of failing to sow. First of all, I said we're going to be shamed when we stand before Jesus. said, if you're ashamed of me in this present world, I'm going to be ashamed of you. If you deny me, I'm going to deny you. And he says we're going to lose anything that we have in that day if we stand here ashamed of him. He said, if you're ashamed of me, don't say you belong to me. He said, we are to be constantly declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to throw in some extra thoughts here. Uh, you know, it's very hard for me to talk about sowing and reaping without talking about other aspects of sowing and reaping also. In Galatians, the sixth chapter, verse 7, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And you know, I, I was just thinking how the heart of man is so deceitful. Over in uh, Iraq, we're told that uh, Saddam Hussein had had them build many cardboard and plastic or plywood rocket launchers, and our men were spending these hundreds of thousands of the uh, missiles that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and bombs that cost multiple thousands of dollars, dropping them on, blowing up uh, paper and uh, wooden uh, missiles. Uh, we we try to camouflage all that we possibly can, and there are a lot of Christians today, a lot of people that call themselves Christians who try to put a, a big facade out front and they try to look spiritual and sound spiritual and walk spiritual. But I, I want to tell you something, the same one who created the eye, and you know it's an interesting thing in medical profession today, they, there's not much they can do with the eye when the eye begins to go. They can't pluck an eye out and put another eye in. They can't just cut out parts of it and put other parts in very well. They can do something with the very front lens, but once it gets back into the eye with all the rods and all the nerves and everything, they can't do anything. The brain, the same God that made the brain, now, they've got things today that we think, isn't that amazing? But there's nothing that man has created that even comes close to the human brain. We talk about the, the thousands of miles of nerves within your body, and every nerve is so delicate and so sensitive. I think as I was studying this, I, you know, we, we say, oh, my back hurts. But have you ever noticed how God so wonderfully and fearfully made us? I mean, I can have a little tiny bug land on my hand, and I'm, boy, I'm there immediately, you know. 
I can feel a little tiny breeze. I say, oh, something's open around here. Isn't it amazing how God has created us? And the biggest organ we have is our skin. And when something lands on that skin or even brushes one hair on our skin, we're suddenly aware of it. You say, well, why are you saying all these things? I'm trying to tell you, it says here that be not mocked whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The same God that made the nerves and the brain and the ears and, you know, man can't even reproduce the ear today. He might put something in there that helps you to hear a little bit better, but the nerves that go to that ear and the, the sound box and all these things are so intricate. If he made all those things and he knows how to make them that sensitive, then let me tell you something. He knows what we have sown and he knows what we're reaping. There's not a thing that we can hide from God. He says, don't be mocked, don't be fooled, don't be deceived into thinking you're pulling the wool over God's eyes. There are some people that do a lot of things that look spiritual, but God says, I'm not impressed. I know what's in your heart. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but I look at the motive. I know what's down inside your heart. And he's saying, I want you to understand whenever you go out, I know your outgoings and I know your incomings. I know you're sitting down. I know you're rising up. I know all about you. And I want to tell you something. You can't change the record in that day. It'll be an open, naked record. And everything you've thought, he said, every idle deed, every idle thought, every idle word is recorded. You know, if, if I could just get that thought across to you this morning, it would, it would begin to develop within you, if you've never had it before, a genuine fear of God in your heart. Now, I'm not talking about a mean, cruel God that wants to stomp on you, but I'm talking about an all-knowing God that understands, sees all, and never has to learn anything. He knows everything, and he says, I want you to understand something. I'm talking for genuine, transparent commitment totally to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you ahead of time, you can't fool me. You can't pad the book. You can't change the record. You can't erase anything that's been written down. Well, I don't know why this has happened. Go back and find out what kind of seeds you've sown in the past. Well, why would God do that? Don't question God. As for God, His way is perfect. Question what's happened in the past. Where did something go wrong here? You know, a lot of people want God to repent instead of them. And God says, I want you to know something. Whatever seed you're throwing out there, and I've told you there are a lot of Christians, people call themselves Christians today, out there sowing their wild oats. And then when things begin to backfire and the crop starts coming, they pray for a crop failure. And you know, you and I can't sit on buzzards' eggs and raise chickens. It's impossible. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. You sow to the Spirit, you reap life and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost, the Scripture says. Now, Galatians 6, 9, two more verses down. It says, Be not weary, in what? He says, let me put it another way. Get tired of doing that which is evil. Get disgusted and tired of doing that which is evil. But he says, don't get weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if. You know, every time I see an if in there, that little conditional conjunction can really tear things up. If you'll keep my word. If you obey me. If you'll do the if, if. That word just looks about as big as the whole verse to me all the time. He says, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, God is very much into looking at the hearts and attitudes that you and I have within. You remember when he called Gideon to fight the Midianites? He said, you go forth and do it. Of course, Gideon wasn't too sure of his calling, so he said, let me put this fleece out, and if it's wet and the ground's dry, then I'll know it's you, and it happened. And he said, well, let's try this again. I'll put it out, and if the ground's wet and the fleece is dry, then I'll really know that you called me. And he said, well, it did it again. It must be God, you know. And all these tests he had to put out. But, but then he went out to the battle, or went out to go to battle, and he had to call the army. And when they came, he was excited. 32,000 men came. Now, I want you to show you who God can really use. Now, the Scripture says, if we faint not. God says, Gideon, you got too many people here. He says, are you kidding? There's several hundred thousand of the Midianites. He says, I know that, but you got too many here. He says, tell all the faint-hearted to go home. Tell those who are scared to go home, using southern language. If they're scared, just tell them to go on home. And you know, I'll bet that day Gideon was one of the best public relations men and motivators, motivating speaker you've ever heard. I, I don't know how many hours he spent, but he probably told them all the reasons why they were bold and solid and strong soldiers. And then when he got to the bottom of the whole thing and built them all up, he said, I just said all this because God, of course, I know there's none of you that are like this, but God said, uh, if you're faint-hearted or you're afraid, if you're just plain scared, well, go on home. But I know nobody's going to leave, and he had an mass exodus. 32,000 came, how many left? 22,000. I imagine he said, you don't understand. No, 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 I don't mean that scared. See, God is not interested in using scaredy cats. The scripture says the righteous 
are bold as a lion. The righteous are bold as a lion. Why? Because, first of all, who cares what happens to me? Secondly, I'm not ashamed of him. If you and I know who we are in Jesus Christ, it really doesn't make any difference what anyone else thinks. This idea, well, I, you know, I, I don't want them to think badly. I don't want them to think I'm a little bit radical here. You better get radical. I mean, it's the day is coming when we're going to have to take sides. You better get radical. You better tell them there's only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm committed to Jesus Christ. I'm not interested in the things this world has to offer. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But I want to tell you something. One of these days, I'm going to reap if I faint not. If I don't get afraid, if I'm, if, I, if I'm not concerned what other people think, then I'll reap. And I want to tell you something. But if you're scared, you won't plant, you won't water, you won't sow, you won't do anything. You'll do like the man, the servant that buried his talent in the earth. When he came back and said, Lord, you're, I knew you are a hard man. You know, Jesus never did tell that man he was wrong when he said, I knew you are a hard taskmaster. Jesus didn't say, no, 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 I'm, I'm the soft and easy, simple, fluffy, daddy upstairs Jesus. He said, if you knew that, why didn't you act accordingly and at least put it out for interest? Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And by the way, God wasn't through with Gideon yet. He got him clear down to where there were only 300. And then when the battle came and God gave him the victory, God got all the glory for it. A lot of times I've heard churches say, well, we're the biggest or we're the strongest denomination. We're the biggest church in town. Therefore, we can do this. And I think, boy, if we do it, we're going to be in trouble. It better be God doing it. God says, send the fearful home. I want you to know this applies to evil and it applies to good. If you sow evil, you're going to reap evil. If you sow good, you're going to reap good. Look at first, 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. These principles, if we don't learn them, we're going to be in trouble somewhere along the line in our spiritual walk. 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verses 6 through 8. Now, this is when Paul was telling the church of Corinth that there were some other saints that had financial needs and that he wanted them to give an offering to these people. Not tithes now. These were offerings above and beyond the tithes to those other saints that had needs. And so Paul gave them some teachings concerning this. Beginning with verse 6, he was telling him, well, no, I want to send some men around and they're going to collect the offering ahead of time so you'll have it all ready when I get there and, and it can be taken care of. But he gave them a little bit of an instruction here. He said, I want you to know that, that you should get involved as a believer in this situation. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purpose in his what? I want to tell you something. Jesus was in the temple and he watched the rich man go by, rich men go by and throw bags of gold and silver into the offering and he wasn't the least impressed. He didn't say, did you see that guy? Boy, I'd like to have him on my board. Wouldn't it be nice to have him as a deacon in the church? Get a hold of that guy. He should be an officer of the church. You know, some people think if you give a lot of money, you should be an officer. Then the widow went by and she threw her last two mites in the offering. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Said, Jesus said, did you see that? That woman we remember the rest of, the rest of history because of what she just did. He says the rest of them gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of what? Out of her poverty. She didn't have much, but she gave all that she had. See, God, how many of you know that God doesn't really need your paycheck? He doesn't really need your money to survive. See, he doesn't have his investments in the stock market, and he's afraid if you don't get that money in, he won't be able to make the payments on his mortgage. God doesn't need your finances. You and I need to realize as we sow, we're going to reap, as we give into the kingdom of God, that we're going to get back, not from the church, but from him. And by the way, some people say, well, I've given and given and given, and I never got anything back. Listen, some people think they're investing in the stock market. That is, that's the wrong attitude. It doesn't say invest, it says give. And it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. It doesn't say invest. And when we give, by the way, God doesn't always give back money. He gives some things back that money can't buy. How many of you know you can't buy health? You can't buy happiness. You can't buy all these things in your home. A lot of people would love to be able to buy health, and they can't buy health. You can't buy protection all the time. But you can't buy some of those things. But the scripture says the angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Now, I'm so glad that the Lord put it that way because then when something doesn't work out right for you and me, we can't blame God or someone else. Well, 
I just, I'm just not going to be able to make it, you know. God says, I know the purpose of your heart. I've watched what you've given. You know, some people say, Pastor, I don't have anything to give. Yes, we do. We can give time. We can give love, give compassion. We can give concern for others. We can always go over and just hug someone else and pray with them. We can just give of ourselves to others if we don't have finances. Give of ourselves to them, minister love to them. How many of you know this world is starved for loving? Jesus said, if you even give, how much, did any of you have to pay an exorbitant price for a glass of water nowadays? You know, some people are so worried that they can't give $1,000 to the church, they forget that Jesus said, if you'll give a glass of water in the name of a disciple, you get a disciple's reward. See, again, it's, someone says, boy, if I had $10 million, I'd give $2 million to the Lord's work, I'd give 20%, 30%, right? And I said, what are you doing with a dollar and a quarter you got in your pocket? Well, I've got to hang on to that because i got bills. You see, God hasn't become your source yet, and the purpose of your heart is not based upon what the principle of God's Word has to say. The widow threw it all in. I've had people say, how in the world can you tell people that are on welfare to give to the Lord's work? Because I love them. <laughs> I'm concerned about their welfare. See, the, the Word of God says that He is our source. How many of you know if you and I become dependent upon our welfare check as our support, we're in deep yogurt. If you believe in your checkbook, I mean your, your, your paycheck as your means of support, you're in trouble. God has to become your support. My God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I can tell you something, it works. Now, I want to tell you something, I'm believing God right now in some areas. Material and financial areas, I'm believing God right now. You know what I'm doing? I'm saying, Lord, show me other ways that I can give. A lot of people say, well, I'll give just as soon as somebody gives to me. I mean, I've got to have more before I can give. Whole wrong motivation. I mean, it's kind of dumb to go to that furnace back there and say, you give me some heat and I'll give you some gas. Furnaces can't do it. No, no, no. Now, you want gas? Come on. Put out. And there are a lot of people that say, boy, God, if you want me to give, you give me something. God says, just give me of yourself. Give of yourself right now. You go and minister to others right now. Take time, take effort, take your talent, take your ability. Give it to others with the right motivation. What does it say there again? Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Don't do it, well, I guess if, God, if I'm going to get my needs met, then I've got to go do something for somebody else. Wrong motivation, not grudgingly. Well, if I don't do it, I'm really going to go under, so I better go do it. That's of necessity. No, 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 no. God loves a hilarious giver. Well, the real Greek word is hilarious giver. It means you're absolutely radical. You're just excited. Bless God, how can I do? What can, more can I do for the Lord? Now, that's what he's saying. You know, I, I've been in the ministry long enough. I, I've seen some people, I've watched lives down through the years. And I've seen some people, if they get a five cent an hour raise, we can tell it in their giving because it will go up 20 cents a week in their tithe. I mean, not 21 cents, 20 cents. And then there's other people whose lives, if their income is proportionate to the giving to the Lord's work, the local church, the storehouse, I need to take them down and get them on welfare. They need to get food stamps. The scripture says that if we don't return to the Lord the tithe, we're robbing God. Now, let me just stop and tell you something right now. When you and I return the tithe to the Lord's work, we haven't given him a thing. We haven't sown any extra seed at all. All we've done is avoided disobedience. Now, I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. It says all the tithe is the Lord's. It's his. It's our declaration that we belong to him and he belongs to us and, and he's our Lord and Master. He's our source. He's the Lord of our lives. Now, I don't know what you, and you may earn a week, and I don't know how legalistic you want to be, but I want you to see something here now. If you make $220 a week, and you write down $22, no, not $22.01, $22 a week, when the blessings are to come back to you, God's going to say he needs $40? $40, no, not $40.01, $40. You see, where do you get that? Well, Scripture says if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. I found out a long time ago that you just simply say, Lord, it's all yours. And I want to give as much to the Lord's work as you possibly make it available to me in as many ways as I can possibly do it because you're my source. And I want to tell you something. It does work. Now, let me see. It, it says, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. But look at verse 8. 
If you think I'm trying to get you in trouble by having you outgive more than the Lord can give back to you, I like what one guy says, you know, if you use a, an eyedropper to give to the Lord, he's going to use an eyedropper to give you. If you use a front loader to give to the Lord, he's going to use a bigger front loader to give back to you. Why? The Lord loves, he loves a cheerful, hilarious giver. Bless God, Lord, I just want to be a part of this thing. I just want to be involved in this thing. Now look what it says there in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace, all grace abound toward you. Now that doesn't sound like insufficiency to me, does it you? Does it sound like there's going to be need or lack there when you give to the Lord? He's able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, that you having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. Grace, someone said, is God's riches at Christ's expense. Look up there in verse 9 of the chapter before. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty, ye through his poverty might be rich. Not become rich, but be rich. First of all, that's spiritual richness. But God desires to prosper us. He said the laborer is worthy of his hire. He said, in fact, they're worthy of, the Greek word is worthy of double salary. As you purpose in your heart, as you sow, you'll also reap. That's what God's Word says. Now, I'm talking about the biblical principle of giving. It's not for me. It's not for this local assembly. It's for you. God says, I have placed within the body men called to do such and such a ministry, and you're to be there and submit to those and support that ministry that they have, and you place that which belongs to me into the ministry. You know, when the disciples, when the early church believers came, what did they do? They brought their tithes and offerings, and they set them down before the the apostles. They didn't say, now look, I want this to go there, and that to go there, and I want this. No, no, they I've given it to the Lord. Now I leave it with the Lord. I did obedient what the Lord told me to do. I was obedient, now I'll leave the rest with Him. You know, there are people today that try to discipline their preachers, and I'm talking about their pastors. They discipline their preachers by withholding tithe. I actually had them say, I don't put my tithe in that church anymore until that preacher gets starved out. Or he gets straightened out and does what I want him to do. You want to know something? You're in rebellion when you do that, total rebellion against God. And no matter what you do, you'll have trouble in the days ahead. Not only will it influence you, but it'll influence your children. They hear what you're doing, and they'll hear what you're saying, and they'll rise up to say, we can manipulate that guy with our finances. And the first thing is that you can't manipulate a man called of God. And secondly, they're not your finances, and you're laying down a principle for them that'll destroy them in the days ahead. Now again, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap, shall reap also sparingly, but he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of a necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And I should have known that I... Well, I'm going to just give one more illustration, and I'll close. Somebody came to me one day and said, What time are you supposed to quit? I thought, Well, I guess there's not a bell ringing or anything. But see, God was looking for a man to speak for him in Israel, the Word of God says. That the nation of Israel was turning away from God. They had King Ahab there, and he was a miserable man. It's an interesting thing. God says it wasn't enough for the fact that he had turned away from God and began to serve Baal and, and do more wickedness and all the rest of it. Then he turned around, God says, and even married that wretched woman, Jezebel. Well, God was looking for a man, and there was a woman in Israel who was looking for a child, and her name was Hannah, and she prayed and prayed and prayed. She was the wife of Elkanah, and Elkanah had two wives, and the other one was name was Penina, and Penina had children, and this and Penina kind of jabbed Hannah all the time about not having any children, and the scripture says also that the enemy came along. But the scripture says that Hannah began to pray and began to seek for a child, and finally she went to the temple when they went to the went in for the annual festival. She went to the temple and began to pray, and Eli, the high priest, saw her praying. thought she was drunk. And finally in her prayer, she says, God, if you'll just give me a child, I'll give that child back to you. Now watch what she said. I'll give that child back to you for the rest of his life. That spoke to my heart, because you know I've heard a lot of parents say, Lord, just give us a child. Give us a child, and we'll give him back to you. Lord, just keep that child, and we'll give him back to you. And then after the Lord gives them a child and that child begins to grow, they begin to decide for that child where that child is going to go and what that child is going to do in the days ahead. I've actually had parents say, yes, this child belongs to the Lord, but the Lord can use him right here. doesn't have to go overseas as a missionary. doesn't have to go out in the ministry and become a begging preacher and all these good things. You know, 
No, Hannah says, you'll give me that child, I'll give it to him, give that child to you for the rest of its life. Now, what did she do? God says, I need a man. She says, she'll give me a child, I'll give her a son. Eli was kind of a mess as a father, you know. He had his two sons that were demons on wheels. And don't blame the preacher because they play with deacon's kids. That's why they get in a lot of trouble. But these, this, this high priest's kids were really terrible. The Lord had to destroy both of them. So God wanted to raise up another one. And the scripture says that she had a son and they called his name Samuel. And she says, I'll keep him until he's, he's weaned from the breast. And many times that was until the age of four or five back in those days. And when that was done, then she took him to the temple and presented him to Eli. And you know the rest of the story concerning Samuel. But I, I don't want you to see that part of it. I want you to see the other part of it. She didn't have anything to give, but she said, Lord, I, I will tell you this ahead of time. Whatever you do give to me, I'll give it back to you. And the Lord says, I don't do it that way, Hannah. If you sow one seed, I don't give one seed back. But when she was willing to plant that and say, Lord, before I even have it, I'll give that seed to you. 1 Samuel 2.21 says, The Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three more sons and two daughters. See, the principle is, in the same measure that you sow, it shall be measured unto you again. Not grudgingly, nor necessity. But the Lord loves a cheerful giver. She just abandoned herself and said, Lord, I just give this child back to you. That had to be hard. If you waited and waited and prayed and prayed for one child, well, hold on, that child. He says, no. She said, no, I give him to you for the rest of his life. Take my hands off of me. How many of you know God did a pretty good job of raising him? And then God gave her three more sons and two more daughters. I want you to learn these principles. We've been talking about the scriptural principles of what? Sowing and reaping. We won't go into all of them, but remember the point five was the Lord of the harvest rewards every Christian who is a faithful sower. And then point six was the harvest is perennial, it's year-round. Point seven is joy and weeping are inseparable partners in sowing and reaping. Number eight is the cost of failing to sow. And then if I were to give to these last remarks to the, the final part of this message, it would be the rewards of obedience. The rewards of obedience in sowing. They come with sowing and reaping. And last week we talked about Galatians 6, 7 which says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also. Whatsoever a man, that shall he also. That's an that's a irrefutable law. Whatever you sow, you reap. Now, if you've ever lived on a farm, you know that's true. It doesn't make any difference. What you plant, it will grow at all. That's what you're, gonna, you're going to reap. I said last week, you can't sow cucklebird and raise wheat. Uh, the only problem is some people go out and sow their wild oats and then they'll pray for a crop failure and that doesn't always work. God says whatever we sow, that's what we're also going to reap. And it's necessary for us to understand that principle so that we're not shocked when it happens. Generally speaking, if something comes into your life, if you'll go back, you'll find out it may have been last week, last year, 20 years, it may be 50 years ago you sowed a seed and now it's coming to harvest to fruition. And so it's, it's a law that you have to understand. Now, I want you to know also that there is forgiveness when we sin against the Lord. That's why Paul said in the book of Corinthians, the 11th chapter, that if we judge ourselves, we shall not be judged. But you see, just because we're not judged of God in a situation does not mean that there won't be also some side effects from the, the deed that we perform. A good example, how many of you know David was forgiven? David repented. The nails were pulled out of the board, as it were, but the holes were still there. God says, I have forgiven you, David, but there's going to be blood in your family from now on. There's going to be repercussions from it. You see, again, he prayed for a crop failure, I'm sure, but it didn't come. There were still things that happened to be harvested from it. There are young people that will go out and, and sow their wild oats, and then all of a sudden they find out either they have a disease or their life is shamed or embarrassed, and then they come back and they never feel the same again. The scripture says when any person gets into immorality, into adultery and fornication, it says the, the guilt or the shame of that experience never leaves us as long as we live. I have known people who have fallen in the past, and then years and years later, whenever you're around them, sooner or later, within just a few minutes, if you're talking to them, out it comes. 
an excuse or a reason or a trying to explain the situation as to what happened and why it happened and so forth, or else you just see that there's never this ability to come up over the top of it and, and really have the joy and peace that they once had again. Now, I'm sorry that that's the way it is, but that's what the Word of God says. Whatever we sow, we reap. You know, the book of Proverbs, talking about immorality, says that, that when a man becomes involved with a prostitute, says this in the book of Proverbs, he says that they go on the road to hell and there's nothing going to stop them. They get into an area there where it's just devastating, so devastating to their life that it opens them up to, to forces that they've never had before, that in many cases it becomes virtually impossible for them to turn around. That's why God keeps warning us, flee from all sorts of moral impurity. Why? Because you're planting a seed and it will come back. If not in your lifetime, it could come back in the lifetime of your children. We're talking about the high cost of sowing and reaping here. God's word is very clear that there is a reward for obedience, that God's blessing will be upon those that are obedient. That's why the scripture says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. We talked about the faint-hearted last week, that God told Gideon, Send home all the faint-hearted. And if you and I are going to walk with the Lord, we don't dare be faint-hearted. We have to be bold for the things of the Lord. The scripture says the righteous are what? Bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man's pursuing them, but the righteous when Satan can't get in, get at you and defeat you through discouragement or through shame or embarrassment, you can stand as bold as a lion and say, Satan, you have no part in this whatsoever. You get away from me in the name of Jesus Christ. Because when he gets us sucked into something, then we have to work ourselves out and come back to that place where we know that there's cleansing and know there's forgiveness and take a new stand. So the Word of God says that if we want to be strong, we don't dare be faint-hearted. We have to really stand before the Lord. And we showed last week when Hannah learned this principle of sowing and reaping, God was looking for a man, and Hannah was looking for a son, and she said, Lord, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him to you all the days of his life, completely, he's yours. And the Lord gave her a son, and then the Lord gave her also three more sons and two more daughters, and she was reaped the reward. Now, I want to share another one where obedience brings blessing and provision for us. In 1 Kings, the 17th chapter, is an interesting story about Elijah the Tishbite, 1 Kings 17. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, well, let me, let me give you a background now. Uh, you remember that Solomon became king after David. Solomon, paying no attention to what God had warned him about, God said, don't have any foreign wives. Solomon went out and had many wives that were of foreign people, of uh, foreign tongues. And he would, if he found another kingdom around there that he was concerned about having a battle with, he would go and ask the king's daughter could become his bride. And so he had brides from all these other nations. Consequently, when Solomon died, the wives had turned his heart away from the Lord and he got involved in, in heathen worship. Well, when his sons came up to rule and reign, the kingdom was divided. And then there were another succession of six more kings. This was back in the 900-some B.C., about six more kings. The seventh king that came along was King Ahab. These six kings had been wicked, but Ahab was worse than any of them. He served Baal and Ashtaroth and, was, and his wife Jezebel had all the prophets of God killed except for 100 of them that were hidden in a cave. One of the men of God in that day hid these 100 prophets in the cave so that Jezebel couldn't get at them to kill them. And she was having all the prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth eat around the king's table and in his dining room. God said, I've had enough of this. And by the way, again, I, it's interesting to me that what God had to say about Ahab, it said it wasn't bad enough. In verse 31 of chapter 16, it came to pass if it, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam and the son of Nebat. The Living Bible put it this way, as if that wasn't bad enough, he went beyond, he went beyond worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth, and that he took the wife to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Chapter 17, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now first of all, he didn't just come walking in before the king. Ahab was king of Israel. Now Israel is the northern ten tribes. And Judah and Benjamin were what was called at that time the nation of Judah. The kingdom was divided, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And Ahab was the king of Israel, the northern ten tribes. 
And you didn't just walk in before the king, but this prophet was not afraid of the king. And he came and said, I just want to tell you something. God's turning off the water spigot until I tell him to turn it back on again. And as soon as he heard that, he knew that the king would try to kill him because you don't go in and just boldly tell the king anything. And so the Lord had to take care of that very quickly. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Underscore that word there in your Bible. I want you to notice something here. First of all, the brook Cherith, if you look at Israel and go way down to the far southeastern corner of Israel, you'll see up above the Sea of Galilee, then the Jordan River comes all the way down, and just before it goes into the Dead Sea, just north of the Dead Sea, southeast of Jericho, is where the brook Cherith goes into the Jordan River. And that's where God says, now I want you to go right down there by the brook Cherith and stay there and I'll feed you. Now, first of all, Elijah had a choice to do whatever he wanted. He could have said, Lord, there's other streams a lot nicer and a lot closer and a lot better than that one. But God says, if you'll go there, I'll feed you there. What amazes me is that there's no conversation or questioning or arguing or debating with God about this. That's the thing I want you to understand when we see how mightily God used Elijah. One of the reasons God mightily used Elijah is because when God told Elijah to do something, without question, he did exactly what God told him to do. I've commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Now, the ravens are, were like large crows. They didn't bring little tiny tidbits. When they would bring a chunk of flesh, they'd bring a chunk of flesh. And when they brought bread, they could bring a big chunk of bread. We have crows that come on our property. And I throw bread to the fishes, you know, and sometimes I'll throw some up on the yard. And I've seen crows pick up a whole slice of bread and fly away with it. Well, the ravens are even larger than the crows as we know them here today. So if they needed to, they could pick up a half a loaf of bread and haul it away and bring it to Elijah. Uh, you know, sometimes I think ravens think, oh boy, I can just see all these little pieces of mess that come and drop in front of Elijah. Uh, they could bring him a good meal. Just two or three of them could bring him a good meal in no time. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. You know what? There'd be a lot of preachers today who would have a nervous breakdown during this time. Why isn't God using me? Oh, God, why can't I have a mighty ministry? My television audience is going to be lost here, Lord, in these next two years. I mean, if I have to stay here and just sit by this dumb brook all the time and just let these dumb birds bring me food, you know, God... Are you really alive? Are you aware of what's going on here? I mean, you're wasting all this talent, and I don't have too long to live, Lord. Isn't it time for you to start using me? Can you imagine what would happen to some preachers today if they thought God told them to just go and sit next to a brook for a couple of years? Let me ask you, what would you do if God told you to do it? Just go and sit there, and I'll take care of you. And it came to pass after a while, we're told that it was almost two years. After a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Now here's another rhema. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there, there's that word there, to sustain thee. It seems to me, God could have thought of a lot better place than Zarephath. I told you that the brook Cherith was down in the southeastern corner of Israel right next to the Jordan River. The town that he told him to go to Zarephath is way up, not in the northwestern corner of Israel, but north further, up in Phoenicia, on the coast. He had to walk all the way across Israel and up the coast to the town of Zarephath, which is today Lebanon, right, and uh, which belongs to Zidon and dwelled there. I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain me. Now, God says here he had already commanded her. I really wonder what the widow woman thought when, when God came to her and said, uh, I want you to feed the man of God that I'm going to send to you. Which man of God? Well, you'll know. Well, how will I know, Lord? Well, you'll know. Well, God, every day I'm on the street, there's thousands of men that walk by me. How am I going to know? You'll know. But I just wonder what, what the widow here thought. I have commanded the widow woman there. Now, Elijah could have walked through every other town in all of Israel said, God, what's wrong with this town? But unless he was where God told him to be, go there, he wasn't going to be taken care of. The natural thing to me would be while Elijah was going from down here at Cherith all the way up to Zarephath, 
to look around and say, God, it wouldn't be easier. I mean, you know, I'm getting hungry and I'm getting thirsty. I could use some food. And God says, no, go there. Verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath. That's just like saying, well, he went across the street. I'm going to tell you, that day, that was a long trip. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was, what? Just happened to be there, gathering sticks. Just happened to be right there at the gate, gathering sticks, when he got to Zarephath. Isn't it an amazing thing that she didn't do it earlier in the morning or later at night? God, I don't think God says go out and collect sticks right now. The Lord just saw to it that the both of them got there at the same time at the right time. The woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now, I don't know whether the Lord had told him that was the secret statement to make to her to see if she would do it or not, but she started to go get some water. Remember with Abraham, when he sent his servant out to find a wife for Isaac? He said, Lord, ask her to do this. If she'll say this, well, then that'll be the key that this is the right one. Well, he said to her, give me a little drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called her and said, oh, by the way, while you're at it, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she thought, now this is a little bit too much. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, have, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks, and I'm going to go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Now, I don't know exactly how it works, but I was told on that day they had a, like a, a piece of pottery. And they would light the sticks and get them hot and drop them down in this pottery. And the pottery itself would get hot and they would smear the dough around thinly around that pottery and it would bake from the inside on that bread. And she's I'm just going in to heat that old thing up one more time and then we're going to eat that and then we're going to die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake laugh. Here the woman says, All the God's a little bit of meal left and a little bit of oil left. And Elijah says, Good. When you go make some, make mine first, and then whatever's left over you and your son can have. Let me ask you women, how many of you would have said, Whatever you say, chief? How many of you would have told him to take a walk? A long walk off of a short dock or something? We hear this stranger walks up and says, so all you got is a little bit left, give it to me first, and whatever's left, you're going to die anyway. You might as well give it to me first, you know. That's really presumptuous, wasn't it? Make me thereof a little cake first. May I just tell you something? There's a principle here that if you're going to learn it, God will honor you for it. And that is you give the Lord the first fruits of everything, the best of everything, first. May I just teach you a little principle of giving? I've had some people say that after they get their bills paid, they don't have any money left to give to the Lord, to return to the Lord. That's your problem. You pay your bills first. You return to the Lord what belongs to Him first. And pay every bill you possibly can and trust the Lord for the balance. Yeah, but those people might think your trust isn't in the Lord. You see, he says to her, you make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And it didn't. And he, she went and did according to the saying of Elijah and she and he and her house did eat many days. The living Bible says as long as it was needed. Look at it says in verse 16, the resulting provision. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. Now, Elijah was obedient, and God blessed him and provided for him. How many of you know the word of God says that the Lord will provide for us in the famine? Did you know the Bible says that? That in the famine the Lord will keep us. Now, that promise isn't just for anyone. He's talking about for those that are obedient to him, those that do what he tells them to do. Then if you and I want to see miracles happen in our lives and see provisions come when in the natural provisions aren't available, then we have to learn to walk in obedience to the Lord and put him first in all these things. Now again, as I said, it was very, very hard, I imagine, for that woman who, if you have a heart for your children as a mother's heart, it's very hard to have some outsider come along and say, you feed me first. And then you feed yourself. But God witnessed to her heart that she was to do this thing, and the end result was she and her son provided for all the rest of the time. And I want to, again, try to emphasize to you, when you and I seek first, 
the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Plant seeds first in the kingdom of God and His work. All these other things will be added unto us through our paychecks, maybe. Through, you mean just something falling out of heaven? Not necessarily. But the important thing is that God says He'll do it in His way. Now, how many of you know that if God says He was going to provide for that widow, how many different ways you would think He would do it? Well, maybe the government will give her some food, or maybe somebody will drop a bag of grain off the truck or off the cart as they're going by the house and not see it, and you'll get it that way. You know, we try to conjure up all these different ways, and all God did just wouldn't let the thing go dry. Can you imagine going back to that jar and every time you tip it, stuff would fall out? There's no difference in what happened at the marriage of Cana. No difference in when Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. God is still capable of doing that. Oh, that just happened back there. Let me tell you something. God will move heaven and earth when he finds someone who's obedient to him and puts him first in their life. When you learn to sow to God and the kingdom of God, you will learn what it is to experience God's provision for your life. Now, Satan came in to tempt this, test this poor woman because right after this happened, after the famine was over, you think, well, boy, that was a big enough test. But suddenly her son got sick and died. And the scripture there in that same chapter goes on to show that how she came and she said, Why, what have you done? Here you've been here with me for a year and a half and have exposed my sins to me and shown me the things that are in my life, and now you take my son? Let me tell you something. Preachers get blamed for a lot of things that they don't do. He said, give me your son. He took him up in the room, and he prayed, Lord God, bring this boy's spirit back into him. And then he prayed for him and prayed for him. Finally, the young man came back to life, and he took him back down to be with the woman. I'm trying to share with you that the Word of God says they sowed obedience, and God blessed with provision. I have seen so many times when people get into a time of need that they begin to pull away from the Lord and they get disgusted and they get actually angry at the Lord because my needs aren't being met. You see, God is just giving you an opportunity to prove your faith and obedience in Him. Someone said one time that there's probably large areas of heaven up there with gifts and provisions stacked up that God had for His children, but they would never believe Him for it if they couldn't give it to Him. We can provide, we can uh, practice this very faith in our daily walk. In Galatians 6.10, it says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. This woman saw a need in the household of faith. The prophet had a need. Now, God could have just as easily provided for the prophet without using that woman, but God used that woman to meet his need during that time. But he supernaturally spoke what God had to say and caused that bottle of oil and that vessel of meal not to expire. But you see, on both parts, he was obedient, she was obedient, and it began to flow. And I want to tell you something. There's many Christians that God would like to use in this area of blessing other people, but they won't open themselves up to it for fear that they're not going to have enough for themselves. And they've never learned how God can provide. And if you and I see someone with a need or a burden or a problem, and if we're able to help lift them up and to help them in any way, the Scripture says to do it and then believe that God will repay you. You see, when we give to the poor, the Scripture says we lend to the Lord. And, and I want to tell you, God pays good interest. He pays a good interest rate. But if you and I go through life always thinking about my needs and my problems and my burdens, why don't somebody help me? You can walk right past the opportunity to help many other people and you fail to see the principle of I'll sow a seed of help and then God will begin to bring a crop back to me. Someone said a long time ago, whoever's wrapped up in themselves find themselves to be a very small package. God wants us not to be wrapped up in ourselves but rather wrapped up in how we can minister to others round about us. I want you to remember those three there's. There's a place where God can use you. And along with a there, I want you to realize that God can only use you there when you're obedient to Him. Then I want you to remember that blessing that God brings to you will only happen when you step outside of yourself and reach out to minister to those around about you. How can you expect, how can we expect a crop if we don't sow a seed? Open that up. God, you're my source. How can I bless others? How can I minister to others? How can I sow and sow and sow and sow? And just wait on you in due season, you said, we'll reap. If we faint not, if we don't get discouraged, if we don't quit. You see, when you and I expect God to do something for us, we've got to begin to step out. Again, I say, you don't say to the stove, give me heat and I'll give you wood. 
You say, I'm going to give, and then I will believe that God will take care of my needs. I'm not talking about foolish giving. I'm talking about concerted effort to ascertain the will of God. Lord, it's all yours. If we can just learn that. God, it's all yours. I know I've got these bills over here, but I will refuse to rob you. I'm going to believe that you're going to show us how we can come out of this mess. How many of you have ever experienced the fact, like I have for years and years and years, I sat down and I figured out how much income I had and how much outgo I had, and they didn't match up. My outgo exceeded my income, and my upkeep was supposed to be my downfall, but I was making it. Now, I've seen that happen year after year after year. People say, sit down and write out a budget. And I'd sit down and write out a budget, and I'd sit there and laugh. I'd say, this is absolutely ridiculous. There's no way I can do this. There's no way financially that I can make it. But I'm making it. You see, two plus two doesn't always make four with God. Sometimes it makes ten, sometimes it makes eighteen, sometimes it makes fifty-four. Why? Because God can make things happen to cause you to have less expenses, have more blessings and opportunities open up, fewer doctor bills, all these things. He says that he doesn't want to curse us, but he says because you've robbed me, now you are cursed with a curse. Now look what he says. Here's the answer. Bring ye all the tithes into the what? You see, Paul the Apostle knew that the local churches had to be supported, but then he said, now I'm going to come around for a special offering, so when I get there, uh, get it gathered up ahead of time, so when I get there, I don't have to go around and pick it up myself. Get that offering for it. It's going to go to the other saints over here. They were giving to other ministries besides the local church, but it wasn't a tithe. It was indication there was offerings above and beyond to those groups. Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will, now here's what he'll do. First of all, he said, if you don't do it, you're cursed. But if you do do it, I will, see if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Well, now that's pretty good, isn't it? Isn't that pretty good? He'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so much that you can't even contain it? That's Bible doctrine. That's what God said he would do for his people. You say that's Old Testament. Doesn't make any difference. The same God in the Old Testament is operating in the Old and the New Testament. Well, get over to the New Testament, you see the same thing is true. He doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 11 and says, And I will rebuke what? The devourer for your sakes. Evidently, part of that curse was having a spirit of, the, of a devourer on you. He'll see to it that we don't get any value out of the Lord's money. We're not going to get ahead. There's a curse that comes on us. And You know, when the children of Israel had failed to build the temple when they were supposed to, God says, now because of that, where you were going to get 50 bushels of wheat before, now you'll only get 10. Where you were going to get so many gallons of wine uh, for each acre, now you're only going to get this many, 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 many less. He said, you're going to, I'm going to put mildew and mold on you, and you're going to put money in your pocket, it's going to fall through a hole on the ground. Anybody ever experienced that kind of thing? You know what people do? I bind you, Satan, I bind you, devil. You get your hands off me, devil. And God says, hey, you put it on yourself. If you want to get out of it, obey. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, I want you to understand that this isn't just Old Testament teaching. Turn over to 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. We're talking now about sowing and reaping. 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, where Paul talking about supporting the ministry. Paul says, Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Paul says, who goes to warfare any time in his own charges, at his own charges? Who plants a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? How many people do you know that will go out and plant a vineyard and say, well, I can't eat any of that. Got it all go out go away. I can't have any of it whatsoever. Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Does God take care for oxen? Or saith he it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? He's saying, just like you don't put a muzzle on an ox when he's working, those that are in the ministry and those that are doing the work of the ministry, they are expected to be supported by those that receive the ministry. That's what the tithe is for. That's why the offerings are to come in, to support the work of the ministry. Look at Galatians. Go back to Galatians. 
Galatians 6, 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. What in the world does that mean? Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Let me read that to you out of the Living Bible. It's interesting how it's cleared up. Those who are taught the word of God should help their teachers by paying them. That makes it clear, doesn't it? Those that hear the word of God and receive the word of God, they should be supporting and paying for those that do the work of the ministry. Nehemiah 13.10. I want to show you what happened in the Old Testament when the ministers were not supported. I met with a former student of mine who is in a denomination this last week. And then I met with my former pastor who is the head of the Billy Graham Association. He told me that in this one particular denomination right now, a very evangelical denomination, they have... I believe he said 11 churches in Minneapolis alone that do not have pastors right now. He said, we're getting calls from all over the United States today where churches are saying, do you have a pastor? Is there a pastor that you know we can get to come? Is there some place that we can contact someone that's willing to preach the word of God? We can't find a pastor. Look what happened here. It says, and I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled, everyone to his field. And see, the Levites did not have an inheritance. They didn't know how to have any property of their own. The different one, tribes had their own property, and they were to tithe to the Levites. Well, when people got away from the Lord and they started backing away from the things of God, they didn't bring their tithes. And what happened? The Levites had to say, we got to survive some way. So they went away and began to find some property somewhere that they could raise some food so they wouldn't starve to death. That's why God later on said, you're cursed with a curse. You've robbed me. Consequently, my servants cannot do the work of the Lord. Saying that so you'll understand why God's program functions the way it does. Then look at verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3 of Malachi again. Malachi chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Let's start with verse 16. Actually. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. If you and I fear the Lord and think upon his name, God says he writes our name down in a book of remembrance. I have no idea what that book of remembrance is, but I'll tell you one thing. It's got to be a good feeling to know that God's got your name written there. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I'll spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Again, let me just read to you. I like the Living Bible from time to time because it does clarify the verse. Living Bible there says, Then you will see the difference between God's treatment of good men and bad, between those that serve him and those who don't. God longs to bless his people, but we limit the amount that He we will allow him to bless us. He said, You're cursed with a curse because you've done nothing to us. Because of unbelief, Jesus couldn't do miracles in his hometown. Look in Luke, the sixth chapter with me. Beginning at verse 35. But love ye your enemies and do good to them and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. First question is, do you lend? Do you lend to others, hoping for nothing again? And ye shall be children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. What's he saying? Whatever you sow, that's what you reap. Whatever you sow, that's what you reap. It's a law. Give. This is the cardinal principle of prosperity right now. If you want to write it down, that's what it is. Here's the cardinal principle for prosperity for God's people. Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. There's some people, when they hear this verse, they say, well, you're just materially minded. I want to tell you something. I didn't suggest it. God said, you give, and I will give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your I'll see that men come around and give into your bosom. Above and beyond anything that you have given to me, I'll see to it that it comes back to you. Now, I'm glad the Lord didn't say, I'll give gold into your bosom, or silver into your bosom, or diamonds into your bosom. He said, men will give into your bosom. 
Now, I want to tell you something. There have been times when people have done things for me that was better than money, more important to me. And I know God has sent them to do it. Now, if you and I sit around and wait for these men to come and give into our bosom, we're missing the point. The point is not to sit and look around to see who's going to come and do what God says they're going to do. The important thing is just stay busy. Just keep giving of yourself to others. Give of yourself to others. Give of yourself to others. I mean to tell you something. After a while, it will work. But you don't do it and say, God, I did it. Now, where is it? Where is it, God? Where is it? No, no, no. Wrong attitude. Just give. Your whole attitude is give of yourself. Jesus gave of himself. All the disciples gave of themselves. The Lord says, if you and I will give, that God says he will give back to us, pressed down, shaken together. And by the way, again, we are reaping what we're sowing. I've been in the ministry long enough to tell you right now, you can tell a person's spiritual life by looking at the checkbook. Generally speaking, you can tell where a man's treasure is by looking at his checkbook. Unless you know they don't write checks or something, but, but if they... If a man writes check, you can tell pretty much where he is spiritually by, the, by his checkbook. Why? Because you see the, the general tone is not all for frivolity. There's a constant, steadfast committing to the things of the Lord. God says he longs to bless us, and he will. Look at Proverbs, the third chapter. Start with verse 5 of chapter 3. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. See, that first thing, be obedient. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Now, point one, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. In other words, walk in mercy and in truth every day. That's the first principle. That's principle number one. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. He says, you want to have friends with God and man? First thing to do, walk with mercy and truth. The second principle, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding or your own way of doing it. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Now that word acknowledge him in the Hebrew actually has the emphasis of put him first. In everything, put him first. Your job isn't first. Your family isn't first. Your desires aren't first. The Lord's first. The third thing is in verse 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Don't walk around conceited. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. The scripture says God hates a proud heart, but he loves the humble. And, and he says, if you're not conceited, it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bone. When you walk without conceit and trust in the Lord every day, it's like vitality, renewed health and vitality for you. Verse 9 is the fourth thing. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. You know, there are some people, the only thing they think about when it comes to returning to the Lord tithes and offerings is what they get in their salary. There are some people who never think about that concerning their garden, if they're raising animals. Boy, let me tell you, the Pharisees, they not only did that, but they, if they raised spices, they had cumin and anise and all these things in a little box. They were so particular, and Jesus criticized for it, but he said, you know, you ought to do those things, but there's weightier things you should take care of. They were careful. They would go down and count all the little stems of spices, and they would take out the tithe of that and take that to the Lord. You know, we're very slipshod today when we start thinking about, this is not mine. God gave me these plants. God gave me these animals. I return this to the Lord first. First fruits, the very top, the very best, the earliest in the season. If you'll function by God's principles, it's got to work. It's a law. Sowing and reaping, it's a law. But God, you know, some people say, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I'm just standing on that. But they don't see any of the rest of the things that God says they're supposed to do. And then the fifth thing isn't fun. My son despise not the chastening of the Lord. Need to be wearied of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth, or is happy with. If we want to be able to take verses 9 and 10, honor the Lord of thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase, what's the result of it? Verse 10, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. I say, well, I've tried tithing. You see, you start it with the wrong motivation. It's just like people that try marriage. You don't try marriage. You're either married or you're not married. You're either committed totally 
to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and declare that I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I'm crucified with Christ and he lives his life through me and I don't own anything. It's all his and I'm going to be obedient as a steward because it's required of a steward that to be found faithful. When you come to that motivation, say, Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to minister back to you. All you want me to do just is declare your Lordship in my life in these things. And he says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your presses will burst out with new wine. I just want to ask you, what kind of a crop are we sowing? Daniel 12.3, and I close with this verse. Daniel 12.3 says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. If we'll begin to believe that God is going to use our lives to be witnesses, to influence others for the kingdom of God, to turn them away from their sin and turn them to God, and God says in that day we're going to shine like the stars forever and ever. The principles of sowing and reaping. You and I determine our eternal reward now by our commitment to this principle. Father, I pray that you'll put it into each one of our hearts, not just mine, that this is going to be the year you're going to make us more fruitful and productive than ever before. Put it into our hearts to be witnesses, to plant that seed, and pray that you will prepare, by the Holy Spirit, will prepare the soil for the seed. It will have an impact. I thank you for our young people that are already having an impact on other young people and their lives are being influential in school. I just ask that the angel of the Lord will camp around about them and protect them and keep them and that you'll give them a new boldness every day that they will just commit that time of, to Bible study and prayer and seeking your face and, and just listening for you to speak to them and show them who they should witness to. Then, Father, I just pray that as parents and adults here tonight, that you would revitalize our hearts in this area, that we'll say, Lord, we don't want to come in that day without any sheaves. We don't want to come without rejoicing with our sheaves with us. We want to stand before you and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Make us to be productive saints, financially, physically, spiritually, in every way, Father. Grant it, and we'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' precious name. And all of God's people say, Amen.